How do we create more sustainable businesses and a sustainable world? With listeners in 53 countries over six continents, Sustainable the Podcast aims to explore exactly that. Join our host, Tabby Jane, founder of EarthSelf, as she interviews inspirational leaders who are helping to reconnect business back to nature. Discover new ways of working. Be inspired to take action. In episode 64, I spoke with Lisa Muirhead, founder of Odessi Associates, about how to inspire, equip and enable organisations and individuals to be a force for good and build a better world. Today, I'm speaking to Esther Foreman. Esther has spent over 15 years working in the not-for-profit social enterprise and business sectors, running award-winning campaigns, supporting enterprise and building teams. She founded the Social Change Agency in 2013, believing effective social change can only be achieved if people work and grow together. Esther is a 2011 Clore Fellow, a Winston Churchill Fellow of 2012 and an SSE Fellow of 2013 and she's also a trustee of the National MS Society. Welcome Esther, it's great to have you on Sustainable today. Oh, thank you very much. So you seem to have built everything around social change, why is social change so important to you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it really stems back to um, my childhood, actually, uh, where I was I was diagnosed with MS at um, a really young age, at fifteen. And um, as I sort of went through my uh, teenage years and as into an adult, um, I kind of felt the sharp edge of um, the healthcare system, um, of uh, living with a degenerative disease. And um, I've had friends and family around me and, and contacts and colleagues um, kind of uh, experience social um, injustice. Um, and it got really ingrained to me that actually I was quite fortunate in being able to deal with it, but actually a lot of people were not so... Um, we're not so fortunate and so lucky and it's just it's basically been built into my dna that we challenge um injustice wherever we, we go just by being present we look to transform things so for me a, a life without social change you know if i gave up social doing social change i would still do social change it just happens um in everything that we do mm. Yeah, and I I like it how it's it's been these experiences as a teenage that's teenager that's been able to to let you see what's going on. And I don't know about you. I mean, I I kind of looked at life in my teenage years and thought, you know, even though there was like social injustice going on, and in terms of there's um, you know abuse and bullying and whatever else in my life, I still felt that I was incredibly privileged compared to some other people, and that kind of like inspired me to want to make a difference. Is that the same for you? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a mixture of um, experiencing that, yes, definitely, and also um, re- recognizing, experiencing the injustices done to myself as well. So, I, you know, I was in a wheelchair for a bit. Um, I've lost my sight. Um, I've actually been um, living with MS. You kind of have really bad uh, health periods and versus very good health periods. And and actually, when when you're um, when you're having a particularly bad health uh, episode, you recognise that actually, you know, people do prejudice against you because you can't walk properly. Um, you know, the systems that exist um, aren't fair. Um, accessibility, inaccessibility is rife. I mean, you, know, you try getting across London in a wheelchair, it's practically impossible. Mm. Um, and, you know, and actually 
so there's a kind of direct experience of it versus watching and and supporting friends and colleagues who have been at the sharp edge of the benefit system that doesn't work so um there's you know so there is an element when you're white that your core early teenagers make such a difference which is why we love programs like the national citizen service where you know where you get in um and and help create that experience for teenagers and it stays with them for the rest of their lives so pretty much the same as as me yeah so tell us a little bit more about the national citizen service because i'm not too familiar with that um i think there is a good one in scotland as well um it is a it was actually one of our first clients which is brilliant and they are a started out as a um, a small trust that enabled um, 15 to 17 year olds to go and have a, um, a sort of three week, four week service um, with people in the neighbourhoods, teenagers in the neighbourhoods. And um, that would be like a, a week of civil um, education and then a week of like bonding and then they'll try and work on a campaign or some leadership development um, and they and some volunteering work. And it really, when you go and talk to them about um, their experience of it, and not only does it break down like the class um, uh, distinctions because everyone's in it together according to your postcode, not in, according to your income. So um, people met each other that hadn't met before in their neighbourhoods um, and had experienced what it's like to volunteer, to do some social action. And because it, it gets them very early, you kind of develop a, a, a muscle, a social change muscle. And you know from going to the gym that if you exercise that muscle, it gets stronger. But if you don't exercise it, it never quite goes away. You can always come back to it. So um, for me, the, the programme uh, is fantastic. And they approached us um, to help them build their graduate programme um, in 2012. Um, so we developed their graduate movement um, and their graduate strategy for them. Very exciting stuff. Yeah, no, it, it, it sounds it. And I mean, you're saying there you, you do like movement building programmes. So what is the original or where did the original idea came from and what are the benefits of these types of programmes? Yeah, so we um, we are the UK's leading movement building um consultancy so we we basically believe as you as i said at the beginning that um social change really you it has to be done with other people um you, if you do it by yourself you tend to burn out so um we recognize that actually if, if sometimes you need really big systems change to happen you need a bit of disruptive power or you need to be mobilizing your supporters your donors um, your volunteers maybe you need to do a big behavioral change um, and actually it's never just one person it's going to be you it's going to be a team it's going to be some assets it's going to be some inspiration and we um we have spent a long time, you know, before I set up Social Change Agency, I worked for big national charities running campaign departments, often with, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of campaigners and volunteers and donors working out how to mobilise them. So we've created a methodology which connects the grassroots to the change that, the, that you want to see in the world. And we've developed a whole... Um, uh, kind of resources around this where anyone can just pick it up and go off and, and develop it themselves um, so the original idea came from that deep-seated experience that we've had with community groups with organizations with volunteer bases um, as trustees um, as activists um, and we sort of built all of that in um, to enable other people to do the same Mm. So then how, how, how does somebody get started in terms of, of, of building a movement? What, what tips do you have for people who are listening? 
Yeah, I mean, I would suggest that you go onto our website and download the canvas as the first point of call. Um, and in there, we've got sort of questions, um, a bit like the business model canvas for you to work on and go through. Um, and you can come to one of our workshops as well. We, we're doing them, um, we run them every few months to, to work out how to use the canvas. But for us, if you if you if you didn't have the time to do that, um, if you're thinking about actually I want to build a movement, the the best thing you have to think about is actually what is the change that I want to see? Who's going to be with me? Who's not going to be with me? What are our values? What's our purpose? Um, and what's our vision? Yeah. So that's I mean, without that, you're just you're doing something else <laughs> with lots of people. Yeah, no, but I like I like that. It's kind of breaking it down and simple and saying, what's the change? Who's going to be with me on this? What is the mission? What's the values that drive this? And what is the purpose that we're doing? And really taking that time. So just for the people who are listening, because you mentioned the resource on your website, this Canvas, what is your website address? So if people are listening, they can get it. Yeah, it's uh, the socialchangeagency.org. Perfect. Okay, so I've got to say we've also got on there, um, we've, we've got loads more resources around there. So not just for, for movement building, but we've got a whole, um, we're running a project on peer networks and how to strengthen and build out peer networks for social change. Um, there's a big, uh, it's a website, unlockingnetworks.org. Um, we've got loads and loads of resources on there as well. So feel free to go and have a, a rummage around that website and also um, losingcontrol.org, which was um, a result of a project we did uh, about a month or two ago um, with 100 uh, movement builders locked in a room for two days, um, hacking um, the refugee, the youth movement, um, social justice movement and the community business movement. So, again, loads of resources on that website. Yeah, no, it's kind of great. And I mean, you're mentioning kind of like all of these social impact projects that you've run from this um, hackathon that really tackled some of the core social um, issues there to the National Citizen Service. So, I mean, what are the impact of these projects? You know, what are the results? So I would say that for, um, the, for the ones before, for some of our clients, um, our uh, their impact would be, we hope, deep social transformational change. Um, and along the way, they would have had like a, what we would see as a double loop impact. So they would have had social impact um, out, you know, with with their members of their movement and the, their members and their supporters themselves also get transformed in the process. So, um, you know, what we're hoping for is the strengthening of civil society, um, challenging a challenge to, to, to power where there's a power imbalance, um, a general kind of um, sort of social transformation in the way that people relate to themselves, to each other, to the environment, to the systems they're in um, and so on. Mm. So I, I know you, you're going to ask me how we measure it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that, that that was one question, but I mean, it's it's, it's curious. I, I just wanted to kind of clarify. So what you're saying with the double loop impact is, you know, that social change starts with this transforming ourselves to then transform society. And that's what you mean by a double loop. It is. Or we can go the other way around as well. I mean, we do find that we work with people that are... Um, we run the Campaigners Network, for example, which is a, a lovely peer network of um, incredible senior senior level campaigners in, in the charity sector. And, you know, we can talk 
so we talk strategy, we talk skills, we talk um, kind of, a, a, you know, what's happening outside in, in the political and the campaigning context. But always it comes down to actually, how am I feeling about this? What am I going to do? Am I challenged by this? Can I do the job? So there's a whole pile of leadership stuff that comes into it. Um, and because we are trained, the, the social change agency and, and my team, we're all trained systems thinkers. Um, we appreciate that, you know, you can go for massive, big systems change, but actually it always comes down to, do I have the leadership skills and capacity to step into that role to be able to do this? And, you know, that question might not come up until like, you know, a year after you started doing the change and then you're, you're, you kind of grow into that reflective pr- practice. Mm. So it can come it can go the other way around as well. Yeah, no, and I, I, I like that, recognising that it can it can come either way. So then coming back to the question that you said, how do you measure it? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, so, we, so luckily for us, <laughs> um, we don't have to measure our clients' um, work. We just have to measure the work that we do and make sure that we are, um, we are having an impact. So we did, you know, classic impact measurement. We talked to our clients, we survey. Um, we refine, we make sure we do focus groups and we get a chance. Um, and, and we sort of, we, when we do do our kind of annual review, we go back to our clients and we ask them um, to review on the work that we've done with them and what impact it's made for them. Mm. So um, we, we do, I mean, one of our, um, my favourite um, project we've run so far is called houseparty.org mm-hmm. and it's a two-day um kind of housing innovation festival we run it with hacked which is the housing innovation um think tank and it's a really like a it, it sounds completely crazy but it's a two-day long um party for i guess for housing geeks for innovation geeks for community groups for community housing for um, cooperative owned buildings and community stuff and we had a um, an unconference two days where the participants themselves shaped the agenda and we had all kinds of crazy stuff happening and and again we went back to the attendees we had about 300 attendees over um, each year we went back to the attendees and um, two years on and said actually you know a lot of time has passed now can you um, can you tell us what impact these t- those two days have had um, on your lives on your work on your profession and we had a ridiculously high um, uh, questionnaire sort of response rate like higher than average so everyone was still massively engaged 98% of those answered the survey said they wanted to do it again and what was really interesting was that three new organisations were formed out of that um, two-day conference where people had met people they'd not met before, mm. discovered something they had in common and went off and did something fabulous. So, yeah, it's really cool. So we know that we are having an impact. Um, it might not be as rigorous as a, as a, a sort of scientific research process, but um, we do recognise that we have an impact. Yeah. Now, that's cool. And I, I think it's recognising that there's many different ways of measuring impact and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's deciding on what you find is the most important things to measure. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for us, um, also, you know, we think about, well, how it goes into our theory of change, really. How do we think um, social uh, impact, social change is achieved? And, you know, for us, our theory is that we um, we enable fresh thinking, that we've enabled people to... Um, 
connect up and meet and do and to start to think differently that um we've we've done training and um consultancy to help that happen and we've run events to help that happen so you know for our measures we can go back to those principles and say well actually let's measure how we've done that and then we can go back and see the overall picture of if, whether our theory of change is actually working mm. yeah now that's cool so then, Esther, what are some of the social impact strategies and practices that you have in place within your organisation? Um, again, really good question. So um, we are, we're a B Corps um, organisation, which means that we've gone through the rigorous B Corps um, process and been accredited. Um, and part of that is actually making sure that we have, um, we've met the criteria around um, in pay, around um, sort of addressing gender imbalance, um, making sure we've got time for volunteering. Um, we, we basically also have um, uh, strong, um, uh, like a Robin Hood model where for, for our business development. So where possible, we will seek to make sure everything we do is accessible for organizations that can't afford it. Um, so just an example, we, we, we do crowdfunding training um, and we teamed up with um, Small Charities Coalition to make our training accessible and affordable to small charities that wouldn't necessarily be able to pay for a big private um, crowdfunding training course. You know, so we do make sure that we consider these things in, in the way that we present our um, our offering. Um, in terms of our staff, um, all our staff, it's mainly women, <laughs> actually, other than our, in our FD. So we're, we're very highly represented on the gender front. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we make sure that we have, um, that start, you know, we have well looked, well looked after, that we, we spend time thinking about what we're doing. Um, we've got time to go and volunteer um, or, or, or just time for yourselves a good work-life balance. Um, it's a never-ending crawl. <laughs> Yeah. It never stops. <laughs> but this is it. And I, I think it's great because, you know, there's so many things that you're sitting thinking about there. You know, the pay, the gender imbalance, the volunteering. I, I, I love what you call the Robin Hood model. Um, and just from the sound of it, you know, your reflective learning just doesn't apply to what you're doing with your clients. The reflective learning also applies to what you're doing within your own organisation. Oh, absolutely. We, we are constantly um, thinking, can we do this? Can we do this? Um We've, I'll just give you another example. We think that um, we've just teamed up with the House of St. Barnabas, which is a social um, enterprise private members club in Soho, um, to run um, an, a roundtable called um, Period Justice. And we're bringing together, well, we've seen a rise of um, kind of uh, attention to um, uh, sort of elements around sanitary products and access to sanitary products and menstruation and so on. And actually what we decided to do was teamed up with the house to run a round table on um, four amazing women that are um, to have, have actually campaigned to end the, the, the tax on tampons or another women's campaign to enable free sanitary products in schools that have um, high levels of um, free lunch, free school meals. Um, we've got you know, two social entrepreneurs, one's producing um, accessible, affordable, um, organic um, sanitary products. The other woman is um, has enabled, uh, built a bag which helps tampons to be biodegradable. Mm. So you just pop them in the bag and, you, you know, it's actually brilliant. And they're all challenging and championing um, kind of 
the menstruation conversation debate and we've decided that we want to bring them all together because the sector is quite fragmented and actually for us um you know it's not a um it's not paid it's not sponsored um and we had a conversation in in the team you know this won't bring us any income but we think it's the right thing to do do we have time in our schedule like you know to to dedicate to to this because we want to see it happen and it was general agreement that we did so I'm uh, making sure that, that those kinds of things are in there and the team um, feel happy that, you know, we can also do stuff as much as support other people to do stuff. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. So then how has focusing on social impact affected and impacted the way you live your life personally? Um, I think um, it's really interesting, actually, because I, I, I often think about this because um, I worry that I live in a bubble because I'm surrounded by incredible people and um, I've got lovely colleagues and brilliant, um, a brilliant, brilliant ecosystem of people that share similar values to me about how we want the world to be. And I feel very lucky and very, very fortunate. Um, and um, what, what it has done is... Um, I mean, I think I live on like La La Land half the time when I think the rest of the world should uh, if operates like this. And I know it doesn't. And I know that actually there are people out there that negotiate contracts quite harshly and like really suffer because we know that because that's also what we do. So um, for me, um, having an, a social, um, a kind of focus on social impact um, keeps me grounded because it reminds me that um, we're lucky Mm-hmm. we're really lucky so um and actually we we do support other um non-social organizations to have that space for reflexivity so we're i'm involved in um the uh, st george's house in windsor castle i'm one of the conveners for their um their leadership network which has nothing to do with social impact whatsoever but it's about providing a safe space for the leaders across the uk to um to come and reflect about their leadership journey and what that means for them so um there's a bit about um it, it has effects in my daily life in a positive way and and also it's very stressful <laughs> you know there's also like you know anyone that runs their own business um with that double double impact it is really stressful because you're not just thinking about the, the profit and you know driving the profit line but actually making sure the profit is done in a way that you can feel proud of yeah. So then how do you manage that stress? <laughs> um, I do a lot of uh, spinning. <laughs> I walk. Um, I talk. I t- a lot of time talking to my great colleagues about it. Um, and I really learned to not internalise it and actually go, do you know something? This is a lifelong journey and you can't just fix it all now. Um, in my, I guess probably when I was younger, I was like, right, everything has to be done now. What you know, it's I can't wait for the future. But now I'm like, you know, we can do the achievable things first, and then we can move into slowly into the ones that we will take a bit longer. So, um, you know, all, it's all very. Uh, good I feel much more I've got much more patience now than I did say 10 years ago yeah I was I was just saying that it sounds as if the biggest lesson to learn is that you know to manage the stress it's reminding yourself to be patient and let the things unfold and in the the timing that they need to exactly it is very hard because I mean you're running your own um projects in your business that actually thinking about um you've really got to um, persuade those around you that what you're doing is for the right thing. So, you know, when we became a B Corp, 
company, you have to change your articles. And I got into a massive row with my lawyer because he changed them back when I went to go file them with um, with uh, company's house. And I said, well, what, why have you done that? And he went, well, you don't want that. You don't want four. You change your articles to say four shareholders and stakeholders rather than the profits of four. You don't, so when you consider your, your business decisions, you have to consider it for shareholders and stakeholders, not just um, shareholders. And my lawyer was like, "Why? Why would you just? Why would you put um, stakeholders in there? That's ridiculous." <laughs> and I was like, uh, "No, that's what we, you know, we do our business on." He went, "Well, you, how how are you going to get anyone to invest in your business?" And I said, "Because they'll find them, you know." And we had a really interesting debate about that. And obviously, he had to do what I told him to because I was paying him. But um, it was really indicative of actually we work in a different way. Mm. We're really collaborative. Um, we're really honest and open and quite firm. But we are ultimately like we believe in the way that we do things. And working with people that don't work like that can be really testing. Um, and you're in a lot of handholding to actually take them to the place where you can work together. Mm. Yeah, no, I I like that. There's obviously an education piece there of um, having to educate people into understanding the approach that you're taking. Yeah, definitely. So then who are the people that you most admire and why, Esther? God, this is a really um, <laughs> challenging question. And is it, you know, it's, it's really difficult because, um, you know, we, I spend a lot of time talking to incredible people and um, they, everyone, you know, I admire people for, for doing things, for being who they are, but no one's perfect. Everyone's got bits that are, they struggle with or, you know, a rounded person's got good and bad bits in. You can't just have someone that's just all good. And But when I look around and I think about people that I admire, um, I look at uh, basically the awesome um, female entrepreneurs that are in my life, social entrepreneurs in my life or social innovators that are just getting on and doing it. Um, my claw colleague, um, Baljeet Sandhu, who set up a, a migrant and refugee uh, legal unit for children, um, just got on and did it against a system that, you know, was basically challenging for, for organisations that are in it and for, for a migrant and refugee children. Um, my friend Jackie Williamson, who set up Kinship Cares in, in Northern Ireland, um, an incredible, incredible organisation, and I've watched them just work so hard to be able to do this because they utterly believe it's the right thing to do and you know I am I'm in in humble admiration for their dedication um their tenacity and their grit for just getting on and challenging the system because it, it had to happen hmm. so um I often in my head I go right what would Jackie do um, what would Jackie do here? So could go on about the other awesome women in my life that have done incredible things. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that tenacity, grit, determination. I think they're great qualities to have, especially when you're driving forward social change. Definitely. And often, sorry, often not rewarded in women. <laughs> Well, it's, it's it's one of those things. It's, it's, it's kind of like a tangent, isn't it? And it's, it's still um, recognising that men are acknowledged for qualities that are kind of quite different towards women and when women show the same qualities there's a an interesting discussion that can come around it at times yeah absolutely absolutely so what is one of your most favorite memories of a time or place in nature and why oh that 
What a great question. So I, I've got love. I, I love walking outdoors. I love hiking. I absolutely love being in nature. So I've got loads. Um, but when I immediately, when the thing that springs to mind that question was um, a few years ago, I was doing my systems change course at Schumacher College. And um, we, it was a very blistering hot summer's day. You know the one. We had one, I think, yesterday where it's just England, the countryside in England is just humming with flowers and bees and, oh, it's so lazy. You could spend a day, like, lounging around in a field somewhere. And you can smell it. You can smell summer. And we'd gone for a walk through a beautiful ancient redwood forest down to the River Dart. And we went swimming. Just got in the in the river, and it was so cold. And there was a water snake in there, and there were fish swimming around. And mayfly, I was just incredible. And um, being able just to go wild swimming in that kind of beautiful summer environment with honeysuckle dripping in and roses everywhere was just. It's yeah, it was an amazing place to be when you're thinking about systems change and it really just brought everything home about how you think about the world and think about your role in it and the responsibilities that you have so and just that feeling of total relaxation and synchronicity with your environment it was brilliant Mm, no it it sounds great I'm like oh god I love those wild swimming moments and you kind of touched on it that you know it it really helps put your your understanding of systems thinking because I mean for me when I I hate the term systems thinking in some ways because it's just like well, nature works as a system, but it's far more exciting for me to sit and think, well, it's just how nature works as a whole. Um, but how do experiences like, you know, this this experience that you've had influence and impact your own commitment to sustainability and social change? Yeah, so, so I think the um, when you're when you have those like in nature moments or you, you kind of experience something that's outside of yourself. And I think we spend like social change and sustainability. You know, this is a hard journey, right? It's a really tough journey. A- anyone that's done it or works in it knows it is exhausting. And it's, you know, you, t- you give, give, give and not a lot of people um, give to you. And actually... Um, you can get bogged down in the detail and you can really get um, run down and wiped out. And actually being in those experiences, remembering that there is, um, you're part of something that is bigger than just, you know, you and, and what you're you're going through. Um, and actually that moment takes, you know, taking you outside of your life and connecting you to something greater than yourself. Um, it just, um, I mean, it just reinvigorates you doesn't it it kind of really um it it it, it's just mind-blowing and actually what that does do is strengthens your resolve to carry on what you're doing so um you know i i know that when i'm really stressed and really exhausted um i need to go for a hike somewhere away from a big city and be in nature or go to an art gallery and be outside and be inspired by um by other people there's some incredible people out there that do amazing things and um not just in social change but you know art theater um and having that connection to the creative element in your soul and in your and in your brain and in your heart is um is really crucial and it does strengthen your resolve to carry on yeah no that's a really beautiful way of uh, summarizing that so then what is the one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation today esther um, I think that 
there's we say at social change agency that when we come to work, we come with our whole heart and we don't leave anything outside the room. We bring our whole selves to work. And I think for us, um, like it's uh it is it's a commitment and actually I think if, if people are listening out there and um, they're, they're struggling to think about you know can I do this can I not do it can I start my organization can I can I start a movement can I can I volunteer can I can I spark something can I continue my my impact in the world I say yes <laughs> I say go and find some incredible people to be around and be in a really positive place surrounded by positivity um, and that will nourish you and take you forward. Mm, that's a great reminder. Nourish you and take you forward. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me today, Esther. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. If listening to the show has inspired you to find out more about nature-centred business, go to www.earthself.org and click on the Nature Centred tab. And as always, if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please get in touch. Next time on Sustainable, I'm speaking to Jeannie Boyle, Executive Director of EQ Investors, about how managing our money with a social and environmental focus can make us feel good, give us a better return on investment and help create a more sustainable world. New episodes of Sustainable are released every Tuesday. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud. Get them sent straight to your inbox by signing up at www.earthself.org. Or come on over and join the conversation on our LinkedIn podcast page.